0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. If you've never listened to our show, what we do here is we educate and hopefully inspire our listeners to uncover and learn about this wonderful subgenre by listening and talking about albums from the Progressive Rock archives that you may have never heard of, or want to learn more about. So we both have a big passion for progressive rock, and we love to share it with others. And for everyone who has been listening to all of our episodes, we first want to say thank you. And if you could please subscribe, that would be excellent, so you can always be notified when we launch a new episode. All right, Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. So this record was released October 13th, 1973. It was the fifth record by Genesis, and it contains a whopping eight songs, uh, but they're all solid songs. And the band members consist of Peter Gabriel with Peter Gabriel, excuse me, with his vocals. And uh, he gets, yes, he plays flute on this, right? Yeah, He does. Yes, he does. Okay. Uh, we also have the keyboardist, Mr. Tony Banks, bassist and guitarist, Mike Rutherford, guitarist, Steve Hackett, and drummer, Phil Collins. Now, I believe most people are most people are pretty familiar with Genesis, right Drew? Yeah. I mean, I think most people I think have people, heard of him. Yeah. 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 I, but but I think only during the pop days in the 80s. I think I mean because obviously their I think their most popular stuff was you know songs like Invisible Touch or We Can't Dance or whatever. But right. in fact, when Genesis was first formed, they were very progressive, right Drew? Yeah, they were one of the pioneers for sure. Yeah, and so that's a uh, – because I, I, mean, you know, I know that I put that put that out there, saying that Phil Collins is the drummer. No, he was not the singer at this time. Yes, he took over singing and became the lead singer of the band after uh, Peter, Peter Gabriel, Gabriel left, left, which was yeah. in 75, right? Yeah, he left in 75. Yeah, he left in 75, yeah, and so he did one more album after this one, I believe, and uh, then he, he went out. But uh, I'm pretty partial to Peter Gabriel just because of – these albums that came out in their early days, you know what I mean? Right,
1: and you know like shortly after he left, they still had a couple albums that were still progressive rock like the elements in there, you can easily identify oh, as absolutely, stuff that is progressive but you're right, after after those like, two, honestly I think after Steve Hackett left is when they really started to transfer more into, and at that point they were a trio, really, as far yes. as consistent members, it was, you know, Phil Collins, Mike Rutherford, and Tony Banks and at that point when it was just them 3 they started to transfer more into shorter songs more commercial the melodies were a bit yes. catchier and the forms of yeah. the songs were pretty straightforward and more
0: commercially commercially accessible right and that really i mean and genesis what, what during those those prime years of kind of the, the commercial success that they had more so in the 80s um that's really what kicked off Phil Collins's solo career isn't that right yeah yeah, because absolutely. then he started. He, then he started doing his own stuff and his own, you know, pop material and you know, in the air tonight and all these other tracks that came out during that time. Um, but it was it's funny because he went from being the drummer of this band to being this frontman. It's kind of like a Dave Grohl story, you know, where he's like the drummer of Nirvana, then he becomes right, the lead right. singer of the Foo Fighters and guitar player. Um, but obviously, he still played. You know, Phil Collins still played drums. I don't know if he plays any other instruments live or not. Um, possibly, well, it's, I'm, it's, I'm not sure, but He has way, a fantastic voice. He does, yes. Um,
1: he he, I mean, but I think it's kind of a shame that people really only know him because of that, because his drumming is phenomenal, because yeah. not only was he a great drummer on this, he was in a variety of projects that had very technical drumming. Oh, I absolutely. mean, he's a phenomenal drummer. You can tell on this record, but you can also tell with bands that were super, um, not just... Prague rock but jazz fusion is really yes. more of the category you would put to a band like uh brand x yes in. exactly and he was the original drummer i think at least the the album that i've heard by them that's unbelievable is uh is unorthodox behavior
0: oh it's an oh yeah um Those but all yeah he was credible he records.
1: was a phenomenal drummer and it's it's cool that's i think part of the reason we want to do this kind of era of of genesis as well is because you know you get to hear phil collins behind the kit which is awesome oh, yeah
0: yeah and, and and i mean he also fe- his vocals do feature on this record in one they song do. um which is cool it's funny because i didn't know that for the longest time like i always thought that was pe- they have like phil collins and peter gabriel actually have pretty similar voices but when you start listening to them more i i started to figure out i was like okay Peter Gabriel is a little bit more out there. But he also, like, he kind of reminds me of Paul McCartney in a way. Like, he can be really sweet, and then he can also have the grit. And I just don't think Phil Collins has that as a singer. So that's why I prefer Peter Gabriel. But that's my opinion. You know what I mean? I don't, I
1: disagree. I disagree. I think Phil Collins can do both. <laughs> yeah. I think they're both phenomenal. And I do think they sound similar. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think that's probably what made their success or, or the success that they had – still endure and still be kind of stable is that he was already a member of the band. So it wasn't like adding a new member per se. Right. But his voice was also kind of similar. He could pull off some of the Peter Gabriel charisma in a sense. Yeah. And he, because they sound kind of similar and I think that's, that's totally awesome. It's cool that they it were really kind cool. of able to kind of easily transition between the two um and
0: still kind yeah. of maintain their success. So that, that's kind of cool. It is cool. So, well, this album followed the critical success of Foxtrot, which was released in 1971, just two years prior to this. So they they had their footprint into the progressive rock world, but I believe they just needed something more to match their peers, like King Crimson and Yes at the time. And this album totally filled the shoes for that uh, and and really made their mark in the progressive rock era and progressive rock world. So, um, but this album to me sounds very it's interesting this album sounds very i mean well quote-unquote british and i know we we discussed that um not too long ago drew we were talking about just how the just has this british charm to it a little bit more than some of these other progressive rock bands that were i mean because most of them came out of the uk and that area but they were really really uh highlighting the British kind of lyrical uh, the lyrical um, content really related to it but also the musically it just kind of reminded me of like this English folk kind of thing going on you know what I'm saying yeah no absolutely um, And I think that that
1: from what I've read briefly on the topic of kind of the story behind why these songs were made, why they wrote in this way, and I haven't dug enough research to speak with very much authority on this. But I think it was in response to some people saying they were getting more popular and they had done a couple of tours in the U.S. And some of the critics were saying your your music is now trying to appeal to an American audience, which I don't really get. Like, I don't hear that even in their previous albums. Like, it doesn't don't, sound... Yes, that like doesn't make
0: any sense to me. I,
1: but apparently, you know, if if what I'm reading is a credible source... Um, <laughs> right. they're, they're saying that this album was actually them kind of responding to that kind of pressure and heat from the press and saying, no, we're still retaining our Englishness, you know? And so that's why a lot of these tracks sound like you say, very British.
0: Yeah. But it also has, it's really weird, man, because this is such an eccentric album to me, but it's so, it's so unique and charming. It is. Like it is. The, the lyrics kind of like the way some of the lyrics that Peter Gabriel uses kind of hints to like this medieval Kind of Anglo-Saxon yeah. thing, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? But, I but absolutely the, do. Yeah, but the music is really cool because I love the organs and the keyboards from uh, from Tony Banks in this. But the music sort of morphs from this nostalgic charter house where obviously that or the band met in a charter house, um, you know, where it, it kind of goes from this nostalgic charter house to this grandiose kind of jazz rock. With, like, the drums and stuff, but it also has kind of this weird Edwardian vibe. Yeah. You know, needless to say, though, it is rock, but it it just never stops being eccentric in a way that's charming, but also just extremely unique. And It's just
1: really cool that they have, like you say, they give this impression of kind of older music and Edwardian feel with stuff like flutes being played by Peter Gabriel. Yeah. And the acoustic guitar from Steve Hackett, particularly on tracks like uh, After the Ordeal. That was kind of Hackett's song, you know? Right, right. And yep. it kind of has a classical feel to it as uh, as well. And then it's totally juxtaposed with kind of this, you know, like these futuristic, like what we've talked about ever since the beginning on the show, These the Mellotron and these new yep. synthesizers that were coming out that was a, a staple of progressive rock music. That element yep. is almost always included in prog rock. So, you know, and, and that's like a sound of, quote-unquote, the future, right? Right. It's this weird, well, synthesized sound. It doesn't sound as natural as woodwinds or stringed instruments yeah, or anything like that from an older world. So it's cool that they combine both of those in this, and we kind of talked about that with our last episode, um, Days of Future Past, that they kind of blend these two different worlds, and this does that too, but in a way that seems very, like you say,
0: English, kind of English folk. It's- yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, do you, I mean – Obviously, we we both agree this is definitely this is very progressive album. You know, it's it's one of the progressive rock staples in the progressive rock community. But would, to somebody who may not understand what progressive rock is, would you consider this to be an English folk album? Uh maybe. Maybe because,
1: yeah. I just I just think of so much of the rock elements included. Just you know the the, the drumming is pretty big in this record on this record and oh yeah and the synthesizers and everything. It's just hard for me to think of it as solely like that. But maybe yeah, if you had never heard or never knew what it was, you can you know. But but you had you knew kind of what English folk sounded like. Then yeah, yeah you could associate that this with that. I think yeah. so. I think so. I,
0: I think that just if if you if you like folk music and you know you you like uh just kind of you know the catchy melodies and the kind of the the you know uh folky vibe of music i think that somebody would enjoy i think they would enjoy this album yeah i think it i think it would be um getting them out of their comfort zone a little bit but i think that they would you know some of the parts are fairly accessible to them where they would be able to enjoy it um which is which is cool to me because you know I, there's not a whole lot of i mean never mind i guess the only other exception to that would be like possibly jethro toll um right in in terms of kind of the the vibes of progressive rock and and what's being used jethro toll is the only thing i can think of but other than that this album really stands out you know from an instance of thinking like okay this is supposed to be progressive rock but it doesn't have the you know super distorted guitars it's not as heavy as something like king crimson or something like rush but it has its own singular vibe it's really cool and it it always like gives me it almost like pulls me back in history a little bit like whenever i listen to this it just kind of reminds me of this post-war england you know yeah if if you want if you want to take a if you want to take a deep look into the lament of post-war england check this album out because the (laughs) the vibe of this record you know (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean at at this point (laughs) but it's like the vibe of the record is just a piece of history to me. It's super cool to me. I love it. I love yeah, it. I think that this so, is
1: one of the most unique and creative albums, uh, even within the progressive rock genre. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and for me, I'm very partial. I'll go ahead and say, this is like in my top three records of, of oh, all time. Yeah. Like, I, I love this record. I'm super partial to it. So, Biased is put out there already. Um, bias is put out
0: there. <laughs> bias has been noted. Bias has been put out there shoot <laughs> okay so let's let's take a listen to this thing um, here's the first track on the album called dancing with a moonlit night or the is it the or a with the the yeah that's yeah. what i thought dancing with the yeah. moonlit night
1: can you tell me where my country lies said the uniform to his true love's eyes. it lies with me cried the queen of maybe for her merchandise he traded in
0: his prize that's such a staple of this record it's just as it just right at the very beginning of the album is just the acapella singular vocal of peter gabriel well yeah
1: and this and you'll hear as it continues it's just incredible how they build dynamics in this record because oh, yeah. they do it a couple of times where it will start out kind of soft, even their hit. I know what I like parentheses in your wardrobe. Um, <clears throat> even with that, they start out kind of s- soft, you know, and then it builds and then it gets really big. Cause later in this song, this song gets really big later. Um, right. Dance with the moonlit night. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a very dynamic uh, album and they, they played that wonderfully. They composed it wonderfully to kind of, to build it into something significant.
0: Yeah. It's it's and mus- musically this this song is one of my favorites. Um I would probably put it in the, out of the eight songs in the top 3 just compositionally when it comes to the music of of the song because there's so many great parts. Steve Hackett, this this album for him was amazing. The parts that he wrote because he's not a very um, He's not the kind of guy that you would expect to, you know, walk up to the front of the stage and just shred a seventy-five million note solo. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, yeah. Play, he plays the guitar like an instrument, which is what I love about him the most. Is you know is, is the playing is phenomenal, the writing is phenomenal, but he really shined on this record. I think more than He's any of the so other. Albums, he He's just so genuine. He is. He's
1: just such a genuine writer and player, and you can hear that uh, yeah. even on this record. And I think historically. At this point, he still felt kind of overshadowed by some of the other band members, if I'm not mistaken. I think he didn't feel his voice was really being contributed or, or heard that yeah. much, rather. And um, but you know, I I see some
0: amazing guitar compositions on this record. Oh some yeah. Some of my favorites. Well, he he per, like on and in the entire record. I mean, he's perfected the use of tapping technique and sweet picking, which were techni- techniques that were they would not become widely popular until about a decade later you Yeah, know, so very experimental he really got it out there um and, and did some stuff that was super creative and, and incredibly I mean, even, incredibly yeah. catchy is too incredibly catchy even play. what
1: you're hearing right now like you know in the background that's that's the guitar and he's he's doing some cool stuff with it it's, it's awesome it's,
0: it's great so this this song lyrically, um, I started diving into the, kind of the lyrical content of the record because because it, it sounds very historical to me. I wanted to know what was going on lyrically in the album, and it I started finding like certain things that were very. I mean, it's all quite uh, British related, you know, like wait, like we were saying, kind of like a reflection of of Britain, but it's appreciably less. I believe bombastic, bombastic than like the lyrical hyperbole from someone like you know Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, you know. But I think it, it, it's, but it pre- presents this vision of England that's very subtle, but I think quite poignant. But um, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's thrown throughout the throughout the record. I mean, there's in the lyrics, especially at least for this song, like there's like the advent of like a you know the supermarket. Um, there's also like some Edward Elgar hints in there, which is a um, composer, UK, uh, British composer, uh, like the story of the Holy Grail, um, and there's much more if you just take a listen just to the opening track. Oh, one of my favorites is Wimpy, the UK fast food chain. You know, uh, there's this huh. there's this contrast of, um, I guess you'd say history and change. Yeah, this
1: this this. You know, it's like this entire record, at least the specific, wow, specifically the stuff that Gabriel wrote the lyrics for. It's very. It alludes to a lot of different things in English history. Yes, it alludes to a lot of that, and it's you know this. The lyrics aren't very ambiguous. You know, you you can interpret them in a different way, but they're specific references to things
0: that were you know iconic to england that yeah. were attached to english history and culture exactly exactly and so i think it i mean when i was listening to i mean obviously there's a couple of things that i just did not pick up on you know no, listening to it i still don't yeah, and, <laughs> you know yeah and i, I'm not I still english. don't either yeah i still i still don't either but you know looking into looking deeper into the lyrics and kind of doing some research and history on it you can find some things that are like oh this is interesting and and it's almost like a history lesson finding finding this yeah. stuff with the uk and um, there's just this contrast of history and change and especially in the song but I think it also happens throughout the entire album specifically you know so like you were saying kind of alluding to this uh, this whole gosh this section's ridiculous right here it's so great I'm gonna play this oh that guitar chord
1: Yeah, so another thing I want to say, just hearing that, this album, you can really, and I've said this before, what I really enjoy about bands as opposed to artists, not that I have anything against artists at all, but one thing I really enjoy about bands is typically you can kind of hear everyone's input, and with this one, this is one that I markedly can point towards and say you can hear each individual instrument not just from a mixing standpoint just from a creative standpoint everyone's voice is heard the guitar uh, contributions are amazing the keyboards the flute the the drums the vocals all of it is super unique and it blends
0: so well i,
1: I, I love this record for that
0: yeah i for agree. that alone I, I love progressive rock for that Right. I think there are
1: some progressive rock bands, though, that you can look to and you say, "Okay, you really listen to that band for this. Like, don't get me wrong. True. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I I don't believe this. I don't believe this, but I know a lot of people are like, oh, Rush, Neil Peart. Right. They'll immediately look just to his drumming or I don't know. I I can even think of some bands like a a modern band like uh, like Chawn. It's like, look, I'm really listening for the guitars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or I'm really listening for this vocalist or for this instrument particularly or whatever. Yeah. Um, But with this one, I I don't know. I don't think many people could look at this and say, I really only listen for that. Yeah. Because everything is just so bright. Everything in there is just shines really bright and has such value. In it. again, I agree with you that progressive rock in general, yes. you know, we, we both love it. So I think it's that way for a lot of the different prog rock bands and albums that we listen to, but this one is just very, I don't know, stands out to me.
0: Yeah. It's, it's something that, and, and I, I completely agree with you. And specifically for this album, it's one of those things where you listen to it and imagine like sitting in a circle or sitting, sitting in the, in the middle of a circle and around the circle are members of the band and the album just pulls you and 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 turns your attention towards every single instrument and the vocals of course multiple times throughout every song i feel like yeah you know it's it's yeah There's so many like like, like, my attention goes here then my attention goes here then it turns to this and it turns to this it's like it keeps it it interesting exactly interesting that's what i love about this one specifically especially with just the way that these guys write especially on this album Also, because they did. So go ahead.
1: They did exactly what you said. You say a picture being in the middle of a circle. That's kind of what they did. They were in a room and Mm -hmm. and it wasn't in a home. It's not like they did this in the studio. They wrote this in a home and they were in a small, cramped room and people would complain about the noise and everything. But they were in a circle basically just writing, you know, for hours and hours and hours, literally all day. They would take breaks to eat and that was basically it. Yeah, so yeah, True and you commitment. can you can kind of
0: hear that on this record.
1: It's it's phenomenal.
0: It's awesome. <clears throat> let's go to the, let's go to the second track here, which is the uh, halfway commercial success. I know what I like in parentheses in your wardrobe. So let's take a listen to this little guy, and we'll talk a little bit about this song too. Hi, this is an ad, but it's okay. It's just an ad for Prognotes, and you like Prognotes because, well, you know, you're listening to it. I'm Destin and I'm here to tell you about our Patreon. You can get some awesome benefits if you join, and you'll be helping me and Drew continue to provide you with great episodes and also extra content. Hey, Back to the... No, no, no. no. What? Don't. No, no. Okay. Give him the link. The what? The link to Patreon. Oh, yeah. Patreon.com slash Prognotes. Back to the show.
1: I can wake up, the tiny
0: even just the intro of that you know just just with Peter Gabriel talking yeah just and, screams and like you know kind of it's, this, <laughs> it's like he's telling a know. story yeah it's, it's like he's narrating of, it's
1: like he's narrating something yeah yeah it's it's yeah and, and I, I love, I will say, when I think of, I, I'm not exaggerating, when I think of charisma in a person's voice, in a singer's voice, I always look to Peter Gabriel. Oh, always. Yeah, I agree. Uh, something I, I love, that I look for in bands that I really enjoy, is does the vocalist have character? Not just are they good, because there are, you know, <laughs> millions of good singers. Exactly. have really nice, fine voices, and, and respect to them, but... I really, personally, am drawn towards someone who has not only a good voice and is on pitch, but has character to their voice. Absolutely. And charisma. And when I think of character and charisma in a voice, I always think of Peter Gabriel. And this record just pops into my mind. I just start hearing this song. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. He does. He, he. Yeah. It's like, how do you write this stuff? Oh, I love that. little. I know. Dun, 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 I love that.
1: Yeah, it's so good. <laughs>
0: It's awesome. Um, Yeah, this this... was,
1: I think, the first real effort, not effort even. Okay, let me strike that. Um, (laughs) Striking. This was the (laughs) first... Sorry, yeah. This was the first Mm. song that I think was, like you said, a commercial success for them. Uh, Because before, even the short songs that they wrote, which were few and far between, Uh uh, (laughs) just, just didn't really resonate with anyone. And... Honestly, I'm kind of surprised this one does in a way. I can get it's sing-songy, because right in the background you can hear right now, it's it's very sing-songy. Everyone can join in. Yes. Right. That's what this s- kind of says to me. But it's still got some weird stuff. It's got those interesting African elements yes. uh, at the very beginning from a percussive standpoint, and then
0: it's you know also you know got it Gabriel. Out? You know what stands out to me the most in this though. What? Mike Rutherford. The, base, the bass. Yeah. So. so good. Doo 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 bass bass lips. are it just so yeah. good. They sound so good. But anyway, back to what you were saying about Peter I'm Gabriel. You
1: can tell me by the way I walk. Well, yeah, even stuff like right now, what you're listening to. I'm just a lawnmower. You can tell me by the way I walk. It's, uh, oh, like, what? Like, I know. this doesn't seem like <laughs> I'd hear that in a hit song. Right. And then here's Peter, I mean, Phil Collins. Do, 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 mm hmm weird rhythms going on in the background um i don't know how it worked but it it did and uh it's really interesting to me that this was really i think one of their first quote unquote hits that uh, you know a lot of people could say oh
0: yeah i've heard that yeah you know at least back in the day they did right right it's it's a weird song but like i said and at the very beginning of this thing it's eccentric but in a way that's charming yeah, and and that's what makes it so unique, you know. It, lyrically, it's it, lyrically. I actually took a, a, a kind of a dip into the lyrics of the song, and there's this big suggestion here of like transvestism here, like this fascination of English middle class dressing up in women's clothing, <laughs> like like Monty Python or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, even that idea is pretty out there. Along, yeah. along with the yeah. music, but I, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just it's it's weird, eccentric, but charming and unique, and yeah. and it's catchy. At the same time, it's catchy. You know, the the, the track is easy to sing along to, and it keeps right. it interesting. <laughs> musically, it's not boring, and I think that's actually is that one of the one of the shorter tracks on the song or on the album? Excuse me.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the only thing that's shorter. Is uh, more full Me, maybe.
0: Yeah. Or after after the ordeal um, is a little bit no, actually actually after the ordeal is a little bit longer than that. The ordeal is yeah. is a little bit yeah. longer. But then yeah. also Isle of Plenty, um, but you can't really count that because that's kind of like a what is that, a coda to the entire record? Something yeah, like
1: that. it's uh it's really cool. I actually don't yeah, like that. I like me, it. Especially vocally. Oh, yeah. Um yeah. it's great. They're they're weird. I love yeah, them. I know. They're they are weird. <laughs> they're weird, but but they're not trying trying to be weird. It's just them. Yeah. And something that that Phil Collins said uh, that I heard in an interview with him is, you know, he's talking about uh, when they were starting out, they weren't trying to be a prog rock band. Right. Um, which is interesting because he said, he said, with bands like King Crimson and Yes, they were trying. For exactly. That. They wanted yes. to do that. They knew a direction they were going to. For Genesis, we didn't say, let's be a prog rock band. Right. We just said, okay, for nursery crime, we're gonna write a song, uh, you know, about someone using someone else's head as a croquet ball, you know, right. and do some nursery rhymes from English history. Like that's just what we want to do, but it's not because we're trying to go towards the realm of progressive rock and take after bands like King Crimson. Or right. yes, this is just what we do, which is really interesting to me. Um, and you can totally tell it's very, it's very them. Yeah. It's it's in, in
0: terms of kind of the UK progressive rock scene at the time in the early seventies, we had, yes, King Crimson and Genesis. Um, those were kind of the three staples. I guess you could kind of slide the Beatles in the back door of that a little bit, but primarily when it comes to like progressive rock as just from a band standpoint, not just from an album. Or well, two and,
1: and Emerson Lake and Palmer were starting to get their, true. Their, yes. their stride as well.
0: That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that. I forgot about them. But but more so, you know, when we when we look at Yes and King Crimson, um I think they're you know, they're obviously very very talented musicians. I mean, heck, all of them are very very talented. The realm of music that they kind of brought you into with Yes was I think a little bit more uh conceptual when it came to like, you know, like Fragile and I mean, the Yes album wasn't really that conceptual, but the lyrics are a little bit they just kind of allude to a more uh, conceptual ideas, so to speak. Right. And King Crimson I haven't really focused on the lyrics of King Crimson a whole lot, but that just how Genesis stands out from the from these other guys is that I don't know. It was just they seemed a little bit more uh, patriotic and uh, <laughs> historical. Yes, you know? I know and exactly and this, what you're saying. Yeah. Of course, and you hear that they were progressive. Yeah, exactly. You hear that. I mean, it's as clear as day, just why this is different from yes, why this is different from King Crimson. They just, they did things that these other guys weren't doing, but kept it their own. And that's, that's part of the reason why they are on this show for one, because this is, it was an absolute staple and really helped pave the way
1: they make a lot of references in their songs to specific places, to specific people, specific items uh modes of or or forms of luxury you know that they have that that again people will be like oh yeah i know that brand of cigarette you know winston churchill cigarette or whatever you know they that's in a not on this album but on another one uh but i think you're right yeah because a lot of the other stuff with yes was super ambiguous stuff right and it was very you know philosophical in a sense and even some of the king crimson stuff um was a bit more uh, poignant or philosophical it was a bit more ambiguous or it was something that could relate to everyone and everything like that. And Genesis was like, no, we're specifically talking about this place and this time. It's
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's cool saying. because I think, I think most progressive rock is actually quite similar to bands like yes. And King Crimson where it came to the, the more yeah. philosophical lyrical content and the more yeah. conceptual, you know, the concept albums, you know, like dark side right. and, you know pink floyd stuff and even some of Rush's, you know rush and neil peart's writing is um uh it's intellectual it's intellectual it's, poetic kind of thing it's it's poetic yes. yeah 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 um it's it's not as historical as something like uh genesis is and um which is great it's cool it's interesting and keeps every it keeps it fresh it's still yeah, it's, artistic, oh, it's very though.
1: artistic you know both of those are, are both of those are what we talked about lyrically are very artistic, but it just in different ways. And I love that. Yeah. I, I think it's cool. Um, that, that Genesis was still artistic. They just provided their art, at least lyrically. I think right now we're talking about lyrics just in a, yeah. in a different way. And I think that's awesome. Like yeah. you said, it's a bit and more you said lyrically, than, but also you know. musically
0: too. You know, they, they did that. They did the same thing yeah. musically just with, you know, with the flutes and the, I don't know. I don't know. There's some of the instruments that are on there. They're just kind of like, what the heck is that? You know, it just sounds, it sounds yeah. European, you know, to me, at least. But yeah. let's go ahead and listen to the uh, next, or not the next song on the record. We're going to kind of uh, jump over more Fool me, which is, uh, or actually, no, excuse me. You're
1: you're totally snubbing Peter, Phil Collins. You're no, totally we're not. I'm actually,
0: I'm, I'm going over to Firth of Fifth. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to Firth of Fifth. We're going to listen to Firth of Fifth first. Firth, <laughs> Firth of, Firth oh, of okay. Fifth first. Firth, Firth of Fifth first. That's tough. Yeah, it is, isn't it? All right. All right, you ready for this? Just piano contenza. Cracks me up. Every time I listen to that, I just imagine like some like, just like Tony Banks just getting really, really mad at the piano and then just playing that. Like I can just I
1: see him in like a tux like on like a stage with a huge grand piano this is like a this is a concert a recital just for his piano playing and it's like
0: could you imagine could you imagine just him like sitting in the studio he's just like oh he's got this like massive frown like a sweat like his hair is like coming over his over his uh, forehead the sweats come down his face his hands are real red and he's just like a big old frown just just smashing the piano with this
1: but it's so not that kind of <laughs> music. Mm. Like, I don't know why you envision that, because this music oh, is just, not super it's just aggressive. It's funny
0: to me. It's not. It's not. But it's just it's just so like it's like, what are you doing? Like, where's this going? It sounds awesome. It's a great It's just great. Little and highlight it, it sounds him.
1: very classical. Um, yes. just that, that composition sounds very classical. And again, we've referenced this before. That's kind of a thing of, of prog rock. That's an element that is fairly common, is that a lot of these bands Definitely. took inspiration from classical compositions um and i don't know which one he took inspiration from or if he even claims to have taken inspiration from a classical piece of work at all but that's what i hear when i listen to this and i think a lot of people do as well
0: yeah he was probably i i don't know this for sure but if i had to take a guess he was classically trained as a piano player or a pianist i need to i need Um, to look into that I'd have to look into that too. I don't know. But they how much were all—they
1: were all raised in a, in well, at least okay. So they very first formed with Gabriel and Banks. That was the first right. kind of friendship that would later form the band. Um, and they were both in a private Christian boy academy. Yeah, and you can tell, and you can tell with the organs too, right? It sounds kind yep. of like a hymnal, right? Like an old English hymn is being played. Yep. So. <clears throat> Anyways, you, you hear that on here, and I, I think that's great. So
0: yeah, it's awesome
1: and a common well, this thread song, between prog rock.
0: Yeah. Yes, oh absolutely. This this song has one of my favorite instrumental sections throughout the record. I love dancing with Moonlight Night, but this song just has some incredible piano work with the drums. The drums on this on this song, I think, are the best. Um, on the record, from a from a performance standpoint of Phil Collins, <laughs> <He> really <laughs> just
1: yeah, <laughs> it's yes. so good. It's so good. Well, but it's,
0: it, it's it's interesting because it's just the whole. I mean, well, never mind. The whole album is very pleasing rhythmically, but specifically this song, it's weird how he kind of just blankets the music. You know, it's not like this doom cat kind of thing. It's not this poundingness. You know, it's, it's a lot more kind of just a blanket statement on the music. Kind of flows on top of it a little bit, which is super cool to me and extremely unique and fits the music so well. Right.
1: And this this is a long song that has a section, a, a fairly long section, I it feels like to me, of guitar, actually. So we've got flute here, but later on, there's a very Hackett section where it's kind of this droning guitar. And I think of this as almost, it's not, but... That's just super iconic to me. I feel like that's a, a long section for Hackett to be highlighted, and then with "Cinema Show," which is one of the second to last song of the record, I feel yeah. like it's Tony Banks' time to do his solo in a long song with a long section in the song dedicated to that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's just how I see it. It's like okay, this is Hackett's song in this in the middle here, this big long guitar solo section, and then here's here's Bank's song, which is not true. I don't think that's how it was written or, or anything like that. But that's just how i hear it yeah
0: yeah do, do you detect any you know clear or possible clear purpose in the way the album is structured um because I, I i don't necessarily but i wanted to know if you if you've picked up on anything just how the you know the tracks are listed or how the album flows if you've picked up on anything
1: no not off the top of my head um It's cool that they kind of have a long song, then a short, then a long, then a short, then a long, then a short, then a long, then a short. That's how it's been. Um, I'm pretty sure they wanted to avoid writing another big epic, even though I had heard at least Dancing with the Moonlit Night was originally supposed to be like a 20-minute piece. And then they were like, we've already done that with the last record with a song called Suffers Ready that was like over 22, 23 minutes long. We're, we need to avoid that so that people don't think we're doing the same thing over and over. Um, right. But, you know, they have two songs on there that are over 10 minutes, over 11 minutes. And then, you know, two others that are over eight minutes.
0: Yeah. So, you know. But music, but musically or lyrically, you don't really see any kind of structure to the, or any, or a purpose to the structure. Um, no. Yeah, no, I, I know. I didn't know. I just wanted to know if you had anything that you picked up on because no, I mean it's, I know, it's possible, but I, I don't think there is anything. I no, think it's just and I kind know reading through his collection,
1: I know reading through some of it, you know, because it tells who kind of came up with the idea on some of these sites where you're looking at how it was written and everything. Mm-hmm. But unlike fragile with yes, where we were kind of like that was this person's song. We have heaven was John Anderson's song. You know, the fish was. Um, I almost said John Entwistle. What is wrong with me? Um, wow. <laughs> it was Chris Squire's song, but this may have had someone who originally was like, "Here's my ditty," and they may have been more credited with others. But like we said earlier, like right now, it's Steve Hackett is shining, and just a second ago, the flute with Peter Gabriel was totally shining, and before oh, that, Robert it flute. was it was you know um, uh, Tony Banks on piano, mm-hmm. so. I don't really see any of these songs as someone's song. Maybe more "Full Me" as Phil Collins' song, right? Maybe that right. because his vocals are are very prominent and the rest of the instruments aren't as significant as his vocals in that song,
0: right? You know, and the yeah. guitar. But it's definitely the most uh, the most the most direct song I think on the album, right? Or yes. straight straightforward song on the record,
1: right? From one person to the audience, yeah, right. But everything else. See, this is what I was talking about earlier, by the way. Mm-hmm. This long droning guitar solo is just so iconic for this song to me. I, um, it's very memorable.
0: That, it that is melody.
1: That melody is super memorable. And like you said, it's not. It's, it's Steve Hackett's not the guy to come out and shred, right? This is just very yeah. soulful. This is just him, you know. And and it's 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 simpler, but it's also very beautiful, very artistic, and just I love the way Hackett writes. Um, yeah, yeah. I got a chance he, to see he, him. He gives, he gives, oh, did you really? I did in 2017, and it was kind of his, um, he was promoting a new album he had done, which I, I hadn't heard, but he also, the second set was all Genesis stuff that he had done, um, and I think wow. it was also kind of a callback to the 40th. Oh, gosh, yeah, I think it would have been the 40th anniversary. Of um, yeah, it would have been the for of Wind and Wuthering, which came out in seventy seven, okay. that was the yeah. last record he played on before he departed from Genesis. That's um, right. So, but he played a lot of cool stuff, and he played some stuff from here. He played Dancing with the Moonlit Night, and I lost it. Wow, I, it was amazing. It was phenomenal. Anyways, just wanted to That's share that crazy. anecdote. Why?
0: Did, why did he leave? Why did he leave Genesis? Do you know why Steve Hackett left? Um, I think
1: that um, he just. I don't think it was a super angry fallout or anything, you know, that it was super destructive and none of them like talking to each other again. I don't think it was really aggressive or hostile like that, but I do think he felt he wasn't being heard enough. um, Okay. And he just didn't feel he felt he fit in with the writing process. And I I think that's, that's what kind of happened. And, I'm sure there right. were other elements as well, you know, other than just that. Um, yeah. But I, I think that was the main reason.
0: Okay. I didn't know, so I was—I figured I'd ask. Yeah. I, I love how, all of, the, how it, all of that happens and it comes back to this section, back to the vocals and everything. Right, and the for, piano carries it out. Yep. The beginning. Yeah. Yep. Again, they do a great job with
1: dynamics and just – Writing. It's great to come back to that yeah. little refrain at the end after this huge, Some, big, epic, like it's super emotional. That's an emotional solo and it just takes you on a ride and then it just brings you right back to the beginning. And you're like, yeah. Oh, I f- forgot where
0: I was. <laughs> yeah. Something I that I think they do really, really well. Oh, you played do... it again. Whoops. <laughs> I don't yeah. Round I don't two. I think we can do that. <laughs> Round two. Um I, I, something that I think, uh, gets a lot of flack, not really flack, but just kind of has a, uh, uh, it's just not, not as appealing to people as that sometimes when we see the progressive rock, a lot of songs are in, uh, sections and it's like this section, this section, then it goes to this section, then it goes to this section then comes back to this one and then goes to this one, blah, blah, blah. And which to some people, I think kind of, um, kind of they kind of look at it as being multiple songs. It's like why is this still the same song? You know, <laughs> or you know what I'm talking about? Like Yeah, I do. I just listen, love the way yeah. you said that. Why is this like, still the, is this same the same song? song? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just but a something funny that I phrase. think I know. I think uh something that Genesis did really really well though is they I mean there's there's a clear line of like yes there's this and then there's then it goes to this then it goes to this kind of section but it doesn't feel like it's flipping on you you know what i mean going going to this like it's pretty smooth over. the transitions yeah the, 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 yeah, yeah the, the transitions are really smooth and something i wanted to say about that as well is that it's kind of like in suppers ready you know that which which is a song off of their previous album foxtrot which was the album right before this one in 71 the last song in the album is a song called Supper's Ready, and it's like, what, 23, 26 minutes?
1: Yeah, I Something think it's like
0: 23, a 23? little over 23, I think. Yeah, it's long, just needless to say. But the it was one of those things where it wasn't like 2112 from an epics perspective. Like 2112 by Rush clearly has a section this, section this, then it goes to section three, then it goes to Discovery, then it goes to creation, right, right, right. then Oracle, blah, 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 blah. Right. But like supper is ready was really, it, it just, it was smooth. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, By and the way. Name... Yeah. What's r- up
1: real quick. Not to be that guy, but for any listeners, it was actually 1972. Not 71. What was? Uh, Foxtrot.
0: Oh, it was 72. Oh yeah. It was 72. That. No, 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 it's all
1: good. I, I don't want to be that guy, but just for the listeners. So they know
0: it was a year later. It was,
1: <laughs> um, but anyway, but no, I know what you're saying. It, it, it they, have really smooth transit. Well, they kind of do, um, for the most part, absolutely. But even with stuff like supper's Ready, there were parts where it's like, it's super silent. And then suddenly you can tell it's the next section because like a whistle blows, right? And, right. you know, like, yeah, but, but yeah, it just seems, I know exactly what you're saying. It seems less yeah. cut up.
0: Yes. Like exactly. end of
1: chapter one. Like, exactly. you don't feel that now we're with going Genesis on Genesis records with yeah, songs. It's, yeah. It's,
0: it feels very, uh, fluid it's smooth fluid the the uh instrumentation keeps everything in- interesting about the entire song not just here's this all right we're gonna have a pause then go to the next section then we're gonna have a pause that kind of thing
1: right kind of you like know? dark side of the Moon, how that's so fluid
0: and seamless yes you know? exactly it's very seamless always interesting keeps your attention it's great so it's, it's a great. good time <laughs> god bless that's something <laughs> a- else so the, the, what we kicked the album off was a song called Battle of Epping Forest, uh, which was the longest song in the album, uh, clocking in at 11.46. That's 11 minutes and 46 seconds, not the time, 11.46. Either way, I didn't even describe if it was going to be a.m. or p.m., so you shouldn't have made that assumption anyway. Whoa, but whoa, whoa, know. I, I don't know what whoa. that was, but that was amazing. Um, just... Clocking... <laughs> Clocking in at 11 minutes 11, <laughs> and forty six seconds, and uh, which I wish we can go back and listen to it again because it's um, that song. To me, I know you said that I know what I like has the most, but that song to me has the most character from Peter Gabriel's voice, in my opinion. Yes, no, I
1: I agree. Yeah, um, I think of just Peter Gabriel in general.
0: In yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you were talking about that song specifically, but yeah, and and Battle of Epping Forest, he just he just makes some weird noises in it, and sometimes. And, yeah, um, he goes
1: into different characters.
0: Yes, yeah, it's it's great, it's awesome. Uh, but but after that song on the record, uh, it then goes to the song called "After the Ordeal," which we're not going to play for you, but it is kind of Steve Hackett's highlight song, um, right. so to speak. But also, but also has the other band members in it. You know, it's not it's not a solo piece. Let me put it that way. It's not a solo piece, I believe. Right. Um, but it does highlight. Steve Hackett uh, a, a great amount, but, uh, and then obviously we're, at, it then goes to the cinema show and then Isle of Plenty, which is basically just a code of the entire record. But, uh, and the cinema show, we're going to play for you to end out this podcast. But Drew, I have a question for you because I wanted to know this. Since this is one of your favorite records of all time, uh, you said it was th- your third, like your third favorite record of all time. Yeah. So yeah. what, what is a particular part in the record or what, what particular part on this album affects you the most? Either just, uh,
1: well, musically it just hits me the most with dancing yeah. with the moonlit night, right? When it gets to the part where Tony Banks plays the synthesized choir on his Mellotron. Yeah. Right. When it gets to that. And then it stops real quick they, you know, they do this really brief rest. Right. And then, Collins comes in with that drum, with that crash right again, you know, they, they, yeah. it's, they, they cut it short and then it comes right back. It's so yeah. big. And then I love Gabriel coming in. There's a fat old lady outside the saloon. Like it's just, this is great she writing.
0: Its
1: yeah. And it's just epic dynamics in that song. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like all the songs on this record. Yeah. But that particularly, Dancing with the Moon at Night gets me. Cinema Show gets me too. They're, the keyboard solo in the middle of that song is
0: phenomenal. Oh, that song is beautiful. It's, yes. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Yeah,
1: disc- again, I love yeah. Gabriel's voice. He's one of my favorite vocalists. Not because he's one of those that you hear, man, what a beautiful voice. Because right. there's some vocalists that you hear and you're just like, whoa, that's like silk. That's yes. just beautiful. It's amazing. It's like so smooth. Gabriel is not that singer at all. Yeah. (laughs) Not really. Even with his, even with his like light songs, even when he's singing lighter, he still has a bit of gruffness to his voice. That's what I hear, but I love it. I love his voice. And I like Phil Collins voice too, a lot. Um, And I think it's great that he took over, um, you know, to to carry on Genesis afterwards as the vocalist. But um, I'm just, I'm partial to, uh,
0: to, to peter gabriel yeah same i am too and it's just the combination of i just like his vocal i just like him as a vocalist a little bit better than collins but also i just think that well and then also you know without peter gabriel his influence and you know the flute sections and then hackett left you know it kind of just let phil collins it left Phil Collins with just the trio and then they can only do so much with that. I think if all of them stayed together after, you know, Gabriel decided not to be the singer anymore, I think they could have done some other stuff that I would have been like, Oh yeah, this is just as good or close to it as something like Foxtrot selling England by the pound. Or, or you know right. one, one of those early albums but they you know just like any other band they shifted they they morphed and uh they had a very long career you know 15 albums um even though their last one was kind of just uh, <laughs> yeah we're not going to talk about that one but um because i think at that yeah. point that's when phil collins left and it was literally just mike rutherford and tony banks and that was just an absolute fallout um, yeah <laughs> but but this album is just it's it's a nice consolidation between rock and folk you know like as we were talking about earlier but man a kind of overt literary illusions and yeah hook driven themes often pretty much all in the same song at times and so the combination well, even, makes even... the album what's up oh no nothing i was just gonna
1: say even with they like you said they got kind of similar themes. They're more historic, and they yes. like to reference stories and characters from already again literature or folk tales or whatever. Because they even do that even after Peter Gabriel leaves.
0: That is true. They
1: they trick of the trick of the tale right. That was the first record after he left, and a lot of those right. They're talking about squonk right, and ripples mm-hmm. is about like mermaids pulling guys to their death, and you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's weird, man. Yeah. So like even then they kind of retained Genesis. And I love that. I love that even after he left, it's not like he was the band, right? You can tell it's a band because they were able to adapt with that change and still sound like themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, And like you say, they, they changed a great deal once Steve Hackett left, but I think everyone did. It was just kind of that clutch of the eighties, that hand of the eighties that just grabbed every band and was like new technology, synthesize everything. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yep but it was it. the way it was going. It was just a, a moment in history that that's, that's what happened. Uh, not, not that I hate the eighties. Everyone's going to hear this and think, Oh my God, how do you hate the eighties? It's, uh, it's just different. And a lot of bands I think utilized very similar technology.
0: It's the truth. Rush did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, Pink Floyd did it. A yeah. lot of progressive rock bands went into that, into that phase. Some of them died out during that phase too. I think that some of them didn't make it through the eighties, uh, because of, the glowing technology, and you know they weren't be able, they weren't staying relevant and commercially successful, uh, and they just right. kind of they kind of fizzed out a little bit. Um, that right. band, that band, to me, honestly, is Genesis. They had their '80s stuff, but after the '80s, I I didn't, I haven't listened to anything after the '80s for Genesis. Have you? Right. No, I have not. Have, I yeah, I think was was we can't dance in the '90s. uh '91. So technically. 91 wasn't really 90s though. 91 was still kind of the 80s. I mean, think, you know, That's, in terms of yeah, like what yeah. music what was musically going on 91 is still basically the 80s. You know. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> but either way, uh I mean, I still I enjoy you know, like Invisible Touch. Um I I I actually like some of the elements of that album. I like the cool um uh oh gosh, the like the electric drums, stuff like that. Yeah. But I just, I'm more partial to this kind of material. I think it just has a little bit more character and it's a little bit more of a, uh, just unique and, and with those rock, with that rock and folk kind of blend and all the personalities within the band, just all of that makes this album just infinitely listenable and not the least bit dated for decades after the release.
1: Oh, I, I completely agree. But I think it's interesting before, before – I know we're running a little low on time, but it's interesting, I think, to discuss how this was received. So obviously you and I really enjoy this record, and I'm interested to see what the listeners have to say, if, if they've already heard it or if they plan to listen to it afterwards. But when it came out, it was very mixed, even by not just uh, you know other people outside of the band, but internally, even in the band, some people liked it and some of the band members didn't. I think Hackett has gone on record as saying this is his favorite. From the stuff he wrote with Genesis, this is his favorite.
0: I can I can see but, that. Just because from you know, the earlier albums he didn't really get his place to shine. And on the later albums, he didn't really get his place to shine. I kind of feel bad for the guy, but he did get the staple in this one. He did get his landmark as a guitarist in this one. I think he's a very, very, very underrated guitar player. I don't no, think, I think so too. Yeah, I don't think he's known for his guitar playing, <laughs> but he's just he's he's melodic and just He's not, you know, Van Halen, but he's just he's he's musical. He's a musical guy. No,
1: absolutely, I I totally agree. But I think I think Tony Banks was not a huge fan of this record, actually. Um, And I think some people didn't like it. I think some people forget who said it. Whether if it was someone in the band. Or if it was someone outside, they criticized like after the ordeal, the one we talked about that was kind of Hackett's song, right? Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, it's like pseudo-classical. He's like trying to be classical, but it's not, and it just doesn't work." Um, and other people didn't like it, but Weird. it's interesting to hear because Destin, you and I were talking about the other day. It's always really cool to hear other musicians from other bands talk about, you know, p- you know, uh, uh, other pieces of work, yeah, right, yeah. So Neil Neil Peart thinks that this is this is one of his favorite drumming records. Neil Peart, one of the most renowned, most respected rock drummers yeah. in history, says, I, I really enjoy, I think the drumming on this record is masterful. And uh, John Lennon from the Beatles heard this record and said he really liked it. And apparently the members of Genesis were incredibly honored that a Beatle said they really enjoyed their
0: stuff. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, um, if a Beatle said they enjoyed my stuff, I'd, I'd feel proud. I would be honored. <laughs> I'd, I know, I'd feel like I'd gotten knighted. I, I was about to say,
1: that's, yeah. Are you, I are you totally literally right. about to I'd say like, that? I, no, I was about to say, I can check that box and I can die now. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Like, it's okay if I die because a Beatle says that my... <laughs> wow. That might be taking it too far. But seriously, that's a tremendous honor to have, for me, an idol like the Beatles say, hey, you produce some good stuff, some good quality content. It, it has value, you know? That's right. Um, obviously... I don't think that art is art if the right people, quote-unquote, say it's art, but it's still an honor, and it means a lot.
0: What? What? So it's just the biggest like rabbit trail that we could have taken right at the very end of this thing. I love it. Though. That's
1: true. Hey, talk about Genesis, and now we're talking about how Drew's going to die. How Drew's going to die. He's only going to die.
0: hear about a beetle. Or hear he's only going to die beetle. happy
1: if he hears from a beetle that his music's going <laughs> Yeah, probably well, all... I guess I will be dying really in a
0: horrible state of mind that I didn't accomplish. <laughs> You're dying. That's, okay. That's so. Dirty. No, no, you squeezed into the episode. Yeah, I know. I did it. Let's wrap this thing up. We would both, both really, really like to thank you guys for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes. If you enjoyed the episode, learned something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. We also appreciate all feedback and comments. And if you would like to support Drew and I's page, Please visit at ArcaneAtlas on all social media platforms. So, Drew, what is the next album we will be listening to on our next episode? Um,
1: we will be tackling a Behemoth, a big giant of progressive rock. Oh, this yeah. is kind of, this is super out there. Uh, but it's Brain Salad Surgery, it's the name of the record, and the band is Emerson Macon Palmer, or ELP blp that's right so 1973 is when that one came out it's gonna be great it's an interesting one it's it's, It's gonna be fun yeah you described it well
0: it's a behemoth so everybody will have to check that out wonderful all right so join us next time as we discover the past present and future of prog rock see you next time thank you guys